0: Copper Shores Community Health Foundation is proud to introduce you to Do Good Volunteer of the Month, Wendy Matfolk from the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter Home. Wendy has volunteered at the shelter since 1992. She has been dedicated to their cause against domestic violence throughout all these years and her calming presence with residents and willingness to listen is a positive attribute to her volunteer work with the agency. If you know an incredible volunteer like Wendy, go to dogoodcc.org and nominate them to recognize as the next Do Good in the Copper Country Volunteer of the Month. Segment two of Copper Country Today on this
1: Sunday morning, brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at coppershores.org. We hit on this just a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Chassel Strawberry Festival, how 100 to 150 years ago, pretty much everything that anybody ate in the Copper Country was grown here in the Copper Country. And then the pendulum swung and pretty much everything we eat now is not grown here in the Copper Country, but the pendulum is swinging back. There are more and more local growers in the area, people who are getting back into farming. We see it in the uh, the, the, the explosive growth of our local farm markets, and there's an effort that's been underway for a while and is increasing to try to make sure that some of this good, healthy, locally grown food gets to our kids at school. And so I thought we'd uh, talk about that this morning, the uh, Farm to School Program. Rachel Presley from Wuppeter joins me. Uh, Rachel, thank you for coming in. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having me today.
1: And a couple of local growers. Ashley Harmsel is here. Hi, Ashley. Hi. And Drew Kramer is here as well. Drew, welcome to the program. Good morning. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, Farm to School Program. Why is it so important, Rachel, to funnel some of these locally grown products into our schools?
2: Yeah, so just as you were saying, um, over the last few decades we've seen that most of our food is being outsourced and with that, the um, quality of our food being fed to our children has decreased in order to reduce food cost per meal um, for kids in order to feed more kids. However, we know that our children deserve the best food, and the best food is the food that's grown here. It's the most nutritious, the most healthy, the best generally for our environment, and also supports our local economy. And so we're super excited about this resurgence and remembering what just what our kids really deserve.
1: You know, if you look back historically, we grew all sorts of food, all different kinds of food around here 100 125 years ago um, we were talking about that again as part of the, the strawberry conversation we grew you know we were still growing a few potatoes around here there were a lot of potatoes grown here back in the day cabbage was a big product here back in the day fruits and vegetables and things like that because it was pretty much the only way we could get them Because before the trains started running on a regular basis, the only way that stuff got here was by ship. And you can't ship fresh vegetables out of New York and get them to the Copper Country and have them still be here. So, so Ashley, tell me, why did you decide to start growing things here?
3: Well, so I'm from Calumet originally. And um, we were uh, learning how to grow on a small farm out in Colorado. And we weren't really sure how to go to the next step out there. Um, it, the costs are incredibly high to, to do your own startup. Um, so we looked back to here in Calumet and, um, land was cheaper and there wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, there were a lot of lo- local farms, but maybe it was just a place that we felt we could come back to have support. Um, there was a small farm, the Lenington farm and they allowed us to start leasing land from them so we could really get started right away without having to first purchase land. So that was a huge leg up. Yeah, it it,
1: cuts down on the startup costs. Exactly,
3: and after that year we moved to the Hughes farm for another few years of leasing. Um, But yeah, we moved back up just to kind of get back to where I came from and um, see what we could do in this community.
1: Drew, what's your story? How did you get started with growing?
0: Um, it's a bit roundabout. Um, <laughs> my wife and I wanted to be farmers back in college, but we realized student debt wasn't going to buy a farm for us. Um, so we went to grad school and did other things for like a decade. Um, and then we were living here when the pandemic started and when people went and panicked, bought 25 pounds of rice, I panicked, put in an eighth acre garden, um, and put in as many potatoes in the ground as I could. So I said, I'm going to have an entire year's worth of calories coming out of the ground by fall, um. <laughs> And that started the ball rolling and reignited the farm dream.
1: So how much land now do you farm?
0: Uh, A little under an acre.
1: Okay, so it's not a huge operation.
0: No, but it's intensive. We we get as many plants in the ground as you can. Um, You can grow very densely.
1: How about you, Ashley? How much land do you folks work?
3: Um, We do probably about two acres, and that's been over several years that we've grown. So we've actually been growing up here since 2013. So we're... um, Yeah, slowly over the years we've expanded to the two, and that is to us a lot. But again, we do really intensive, too, a lot, very intensive planting.
1: Well, the intensive planting does help out because it's more environmentally friendly because you have to disturb less ground. If you are using fertilizers or things of that nature, you can use less of them because it spreads out over lesser area. So what do you grow?
3: Um, We grow mostly, mostly vegetables, but a fairly wide variety of them. And then we have started getting into some fruit, mostly berries, but those take a while to get established. So we're just starting to see our blackberries come on, our currants, uh, some raspberries, blueberries, but that's still gonna take a while. And then one of our other focuses that we're especially moving into is also flower production.
1: Ah, flower production. Yeah. I come from an area that is rather well known for flower production, huge amounts of greenhouses in Southwest Michigan. Um, Drew, what are you growing?
0: Uh, we focus on triple washed salad mix and then greenhouse tomatoes and cucumbers and then we grow 30 40 other vegetables so we can have variety at market and for our um, CSA subscribers
1: now there have been notoriously and historically some challenges growing in the copper country the, uh, the, the...
0: what are you talking about
1: <laughs> you know the growing season is two and a half weeks long basically uh, how much does that short growing season limit you?
3: It's, it's limiting in this, that's a tough one. It's limiting in the sense that if you miss, if some, say a deer eats some, you know, you only have that one shot to get certain things in like squash and peppers and tomatoes, those longer term crops. Um, so if you kind of get a poor start, such as last year, for instance, it, things just never really caught up. There just wasn't the time, but it does create a, a way to get creative to how do you extend the season? So we all have come a long way with that, especially since we first started on how to, to get things in sooner get them to come to fruition earlier so that we can have a continued wide variety of vegetables in our small grown
1: window. I'm assuming that means, in many cases, giving plants a head start uh, oh, you know, w- within an indoor environment, a hoop house environment?
0: Yeah, and so we have retrofitted part of our house to be our propagation house. Uh, we don't really have a dining room anymore. Instead, my walls are covered with uh, 3D-printed shelving and grow lights, so we can fit uh, 68 um, one-by-two-foot trays of plants along the walls. Um, just with 16 feet of wall space.
1: They tell me that over the next few years, we're going to have longer growing seasons because of global warming. Somebody was talking to me about that the other day and saying that within the next 50 or 60 years, they think that we'll be able to grow what grow here, what they're growing now in Georgia. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure if we're ready for peach trees. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I have I'm one retired. peach tree. Do you? You yeah. do.
1: Well, you mentioned something, Ashley, that uh, I think a lot of people don't think about. There are certain things that you can plant this year and grow and harvest this year. There are certain things like your, your fruit yeah. bushes and trees and such. Uh, if you're going to start an apple orchard, you're waiting a long time before totally. you can harvest from it. So yeah. there's a big investment and a time period that goes along with some of this. You have to wait for your return
3: it's yeah it's huge you have to assume you'll still be in business (laughs) and that that nothing will have you know what if uh you know a deer or something gets in and and takes those down i mean then you've you've kind of lost everything so not only is it the investment in the plant itself but in the infrastructure to keep you know deer out rabbits different things like that um irrigation is insane (laughs) you know that can be it's that's that's quite the challenge is irrigation on top of everything else. then pest management that's another huge. Uh, thing that we've
1: with as well. Yeah, the uh, the caterpillars that have kind of invaded the copper country this year. I was talking with another friend who was telling me about how they were basically eating all the leaves off all their trees and such. You get something like that into one of your, organi- your uh, areas, you've got a real problem.
0: Yeah, we're lucky that the tent caterpillars and such that are devouring fruit trees don't typically target vegetables, but there are definitely other pests. Yes the cabbage moth will always be here. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I did farm programming downstate uh, years ago, and uh, you know, th- th- there are times when you have to know, you have to go in and, and take proactive measures to try to keep those pests, and with you guys especially, because I'm assuming that you try to stay away from a lot of the commercial pesticides and herbicides that a lot of big time growers use to keep their areas clear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if any of the veggie farmers in the area are certified organic, but we follow a lot of the principles. And so basically everybody at the farmer's market, they don't spray anything that isn't safe for humans, isn't safe for the outdoor world. Like for back to the cabbage moth, there's a thing called uh, BT. It's a bacteria that kills the caterpillars that are on the plant, but nothing else. So that is safe to humans, generally safe to the environment, and it's not long lived and that's organic certified.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the the animals that tend to come and try to to eat things. I know farmers downstate who are frustrated with the deer that get into their cornfields and things like that. But they have hundreds of acres of cornfields so the deer can wipe out a little bit. You guys have an acre and two acres if the deer get into it, uh, doesn't take long, does it?
0: I lost 4,000 beets to the deer last fall. Oh
1: my word. In a single night. Oh my word. Well, and again, for a small, Growers such as yourself—that's a huge financial hit. Yeah, that's been one of the other things that I've seen about farmers over the years. Is that uh, it's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. Sometimes you get the wrong kind of weather, you get the wrong kind of pest. Uh, How do you survive something like that financially?
3: Uh, Other jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: my wife still has a day job.
3: Well, Uh, it's it's that definitely other. I mean, I, I think I don't know any of us you know, amongst our, you know, kind of growers, uh, collective we have that, that doesn't do outside work when we used to do a lot more of it. Luckily we've been able to focus more on farming, but I guess what, what besides other jobs, how do we?
0: Um, so I've got a business plan where we're trying to get away from relying on outside, outside income. Um but even then it's one on a business plan. Yeah. 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 I
1: mean, I, I know big farmers buy crop insurance. I assume oh. that's something that's not available to no. small growers such as yourself. Uh, they'll, they'll buy that. And it's, it's kind of, and they'll buy futures. Sometimes they'll invest in oh, futures. Goodness. And that's again, something that doesn't have anything to do with, with you folks. So why, where did the idea come from, Rachel to tie these growers into our school districts who thought of this?
2: well actually um, farm to school has been going on for a long time um like you said this area has a history of local food and so many people here Um, Their first jobs that they can remember was actually working on the farms and learning on the farms. And so,
1: picking strawberries? Picking
2: strawberries, (laughs) picking potatoes, picking rocks out of fields. Yeah. um, Very common story from people here. And so, it's actually not a new thing, it's a very old thing. Okay. And definitely kind of uh, remembering that there are so many lessons to learn. Um, from the land, and then also connecting the farmers and bringing them to the schools, too, to teach the kids and to help children learn where their local food comes from. I also wanted to step back and, to say that one way that the farmers support each other um, through, like, the challenges they face is really collaborating together and learning from each other. One thing our region is incredible about is that um, individual farms aren't necessarily trying to outcompete each other, but really like high tide lifts all boats and supporting each other in huge ways. Um, Ashley has started a program called it's hashtag Farm 906.
3: Uh, FarmHelp906, Farm 906. 906. yeah. Okay.
2: And this is a way that regional farmers can post challenges on their social media and other farmers that follow the hashtag can respond to the call and directly work together to learn from each other. Like if Drew is having a super success with his starts and his... Um, what he, his mixed media that he's adding into the soil, he can share that information with Ashley and support her growth too. Which um, he has. He's helped a lot. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying a real example yeah. that um, has been helping and has really helped the resurgence and support for our farms in these challenging times. And
1: that's great to see because I suspect that we have not reached the point with local production that we are overproducing what the market will bear at this point we're still talking a lot of small farms relatively and uh, uh, the grocery stores are still bringing in lettuce and you haven't i suspect significantly Mm. cut into cut into what they're doing at this point although you know a step at a time and uh, the more and more local production we see and the better that people start to recognize that it's healthy and it's delicious Mm. you know then we see more and more of it going and hopefully it continues to spiral upward i did wonder i gotta ask you this uh, rachel (laughs) farm to school i see food production in the summer when there is no school yeah i see kids in school in the winter when there is no production yeah how do we make this work
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, One thing is we can start selling generally in May and early June if we're having spinach come in or we're doing something that's dehydrated um, like mushrooms so we can sell then or microgreens but typically exactly our major production point is happening when schools are out but it's interesting because now we have schools like Ashley and Drew are selling to schools every week during the summer because there is a summer meal program ah that's right and Drew you were saying how much is Shelby cooking or uh, they give out
1: the,
0: meal? the Houghton Elementary School gives out six 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 hundred and eighty six meals next week Wow and the Hancock Elementary is also over 200
1: so there is demand through the summer then through the schools for your product that makes sense
0: school lunch is where a lot of kids get their food during the year and when that goes away in the summer there's a lot of food insecurity
1: now I suspect that even though the food that we grow here is fresher and better schools could probably get canned versions of it uh, frozen versions of it cheaper through their wholesalers So how do we support the schools in making sure that they can spend their money wisely in doing this and still get this good product?
2: That's a great question. Um, Right now, nationally and statewide, there is a lot of incentive for schools um, to purchase locally in the ways of providing funding to pay for that extra cost. Um, And so that's really what covers that extra cost for um, Drew and Ashley's produce and to sell to the schools. yeah, one of the programs is called Ten Cents a Meal, and so that um, pays Shelby Shelby Turnquist, who's the food service director for Houghton Elementary and cooks many of the food um, for the Houghton-Hancock area. Um, she has applied for those programs and really been a champion of those programs, and so um, Shelby is an example um, and a champion UP-wide, many people know her name across UP because of how successful she's been with getting funding for this food.
1: Well, and 10 cents a meal, if, I don't know if that's really related to what the actual cost is, but I suspect mm-hmm. when you break it down, maybe the difference isn't all that much.
0: Yep. Yeah. And in terms of food waste, if they're buying any fresh produce from a major distributor, it's already two, three, four weeks old by the time it gets here. And so the shelf life is very short. And in in any institution or restaurants, they often lose a significant amount of that product before they ever put it on a plate.
1: So we've got kids who are getting summer lunches, they're getting good food that's grown locally. It's certainly a a win-win situation. I'm talking with Rachel Presley from Whoopiter and local growers Ashley Tenharmsel and Drew Kramer. Uh, Do you, the two of you, what uh, comes up in the future for you guys? Uh, Drew, you're working an acre. Ashley, you're working a couple of acres. Would you like to work more?
0: Nope. <laughs> uh I'm just trying to work more and more intensively. Um so like with transplanted lettuce heads, they go in the ground, they only need in the ground thirty days, and so I can replant that bed four times in the course of the year if I have everything straight.
1: Okay. So the the the, the goal is to be more efficient instead of necessarily larger yeah
3: that's absolutely that's exactly what I say efficiency over space for me personally you know I I'm perhaps others you know would feel differently but i feel very much the same as Drew I wanna take what we already are growing and just do a lot better with the space we have um instead of spreading myself too thin and and maybe probably doing a worse job
1: how much of your product goes to the school compared to what other people might purchase
0: um, only a small portion is currently going to the schools. I don't have an exact percent, um, like the farmer's market and our subscription boxes are our single largest, um, sort places where the product go.
1: What, what are subscription boxes? Um,
0: so it's, uh, like a traditional CSA, which was a community supported agriculture, um, super big in the seventies uh, up until now where people would buy in at the beginning of the season and get veggies every week. Oh, okay. Um, so, because the internet exists and tools exist, um, there are ways to make it a little easier for everybody. So now, people can pay weekly rather than all up front, and we can give them a box every week. Um, they sign up for the 16-week uh, market season. But if they're out of town any given week, they just click a box online, and I cancel their box for the week. So, all right.
1: How yeah. do people sign up for this kind of thing? Uh, are uh, you? How many growers offer it?
0: Uh, we're the one championing this model right now. I'm going to convince the other farms to jump on board. I like um, the idea of it. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a few shares left on our website, ghosthousefarm.com, Or okay. Sorry, ghosthouse.farm.
1: Ghosthouse.farm. They've changed all those suffixes now. You can have anything <laughs> almost as a suffix. So, ghosthouse.farm. Uh, Ashley, where do people get your other product?
3: Um, we do a CSA, but in that traditional sense where people pay at the beginning of the season to help us purchase things like the soil we need to get started. Cause we're starting in February. Um, so it helps pay for some electricity, the soil we need to bring in things like that. Um, so we do the CSA, several markets, uh, farm stand, and then What our, is farm stand? Oh, so, <laughs> so our farm stand is just, um, on Tuesdays from three to six- we open up um, our farm. Oh, so your, we, far, yeah, your yeah, farm
1: stand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As opposed to, because you know, now you have to think, okay, that's another internet site I have. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I
3: guess to be honest, though, um, we did start an online store on grownby.com where you can place orders for the farm stand only if you wanted to order in advance. That's something new. I haven't quite gotten quite into that but I think that's kind of that the way the future online ordering like you you do that at grocery stores all the time I mean Mm -hmm. that's how a lot of people get their groceries and how do you translate that to uh, small farms.
1: Mm-hmm. Farming is only half about farming, isn't
3: it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah.
2: And, gosh. <laughs> and Ashley's also been working to accept SNAP um, yeah. at her farm stand too, Yeah, which we do is really actually. Exciting. We do accept
3: SNAP. Yeah, taste of local difference that has been helping a lot with everything we're doing. All the things up here. They helped get me set up with uh, to accept SNAP at the farm okay. stand. What
1: farm markets do you do? Okay. Um,
0: I do the Houghton, Hancock, and Calumet farmer's markets, um, and all three of those markets. Ex- okay, the from
1: the ground yeah, farmer's yeah. market cooperative and that's has put together.
0: put in the work to accept SNAP and Project Fresh and the Houghton Portage Foundation um, food coupons programs. So there's five different programs where people can use those to help buy produce at markets. Um, and then it's also worth giving a shout out to the restaurants that buy uh, yeah, locally. Definitely.
1: Oh, yeah, I love to talk about that yeah, because, yeah. again, it's, it's a matter of getting this it's into huge. our diets. We, if Absolutely. we're going to sell it to the school, we might as well sell it to the restaurants. Who is involved in this?
0: Uh, Millie's is a big one. Um, they buy as much locally as they can. Um, the co ops not a restaurant, but they are really stepping up their game this year to purchase more locally. Yeah.
3: Uh, Louis um, Foods Louis and be- the Fitz
0: q Coffee Works. Yep. Um, Coffee they works. buy a, a lot locally. But if you're like eating at a restaurant and you're like, this, these veggies could be better. Let your server know. Let them know you want that tasty local food. <laughs> I
1: love that. Yeah, a little pressure never hurts. Exactly.
0: Because so. <laughs> like our, our food does cost a little more than what they get through their distributor. And so they need a reason to buy it. They want to know that they're that their customers actually want the best veggies. I and and will
1: appreciate it when it's served yes. yeah. because you know it, it, it's fresher and it's more wholesome and, and it's better. Mm-hmm. So what would you give, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is hearing this and thinking, you know, I'd like to garden, I'd like to grow some things.
0: How do I get started? Come chat with the farmers. Come to a farmer's market. I'm happy to share as much knowledge as you can take in. Fire hose style. <laughs> um, Johnny Seeds has a ton of grower information, johnnyseeds.com. Um, they've got pages and PDFs of every variety that you could want to grow, um, every crop So with detailed information on how to do it well.
1: And you're going to have to know more than just farming, mm-hmm. as we mentioned. You're mm-hmm. going to have to know something about finance. You're going to have to know some things about marketing uh, mm-hmm. and, and reaching out and finding out where to where to sell your product. We certainly have enough farmer's markets going these days. I mean, yeah. I look around, Skeney has a farmer's market.
2: Oh, awesome. Of all places.
1: Bruce Crossing has one now. Yes. Lance has two a week. South Range and Chassel and Houghton and Hancock mm-hmm. and Calumet and Lake Linden.
2: Mohawk, too? like. A yeah, Mohawk, Mohawk
1: has one. I yeah. haven't heard much about that one yet, but uh, certainly... First of all, we encourage everybody to go to the farmers' markets, see what's available there, support our local growers, and your tummy will thank you, (laughs) and your body will thank you because it's good, high quality, wonderful stuff. And it's just so heartwarming to see this coming back, over so after so many years here in the Copper Country. Uh, Rachel Presley from Whoopeter, Ashley Ten Harmsel, Drew Kramer, thank you for coming in and sharing your insights on Copper Country today.
3: Thank you, Todd. Thank Thank you so
2: much.